G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. These days, being made the ministry leader in your local church comes with huge demands and requires a variety of specialised skills. And maybe we've got our own context in Australia compared to what happens in Christian leadership around the world. But let's talk about Australia for a few moments. Not only is your senior pastor or priest a preacher and a teacher, but often they need to be across a whole host of things, understanding their denominational culture with all sorts of rules and regulations, the business, the administration side of operating a not-for-profit organization. There's the need for specialized leadership skills in discipleship, even event organization, pastoral care and Let's not neglect the need for your leader to be a civic diplomat and sometimes a property developer, building churches. So there's an interesting dimension to talk about today, the professionalization of ministry. It can skew our idea of what's required of each of us as we play our part in the body of Christ. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that ministry in church is all about a high level of professional preparation, and maybe it's a mistake to think that it's not. The downside of all this may be that the people in the congregation, as the body of believers, can feel disempowered in the challenge of discipling others. Well, you can see we've got a great conversation coming today. You might have seen yourself or your local church in some of those thoughts. Well, our special guest today is Dr. Brendan Roach. He's the founder and CEO of the Bible teaching ministry called AXX, A-X-X. He sees his lifelong ministry call to teach the word and train people for ministry. Brendan, a special welcome back to 2020. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm really well, thank you, Brendan, and so much looking forward to a conversation like this today. So relevant for us here in Australia, because there is a context, isn't there? Because we're in Australia, but then there's what we think of as the Western world, then there's developing world, and things are very different in different parts of the world, aren't they? Yeah, I've, I've spent a lot, and the reason why we started the Ministry of Acts is to help train pastors in various parts of the developing world and particularly Africa at the moment where we're seeing just in this last month we've already had 180 African pastors sign up for training and theirs is a much more organic small church village based or small congregations in a city model which um, has a completely different dynamic to what we're seeing continually growing and developing here in Australia. Okay, there's a lot of dimensions in this. Actually, it's quite complex when you start to think of different cultures and the way they're responding to leadership in their local church. But let's get a focus on Australia for a few moments. Uh, The idea of too professional or not professional enough. 
Uh, it seems to be a growing problem, and there are different leaders who've been writing about this thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the balance, too professional or not professional enough? Well, I think we're, we're seeing a, a growing level of expertise and professionalism generally amongst pastors and senior pastors and leaders within churches. Uh, there's been an amalgamation or merging of churches together to, to handle the, the legal, the, the financial, the administrative requirements of ministry. So this means that a lot of our pastors are becoming extremely competent and professional in what they do. And then we've got another group of pastors and leaders who just feel the call of God and they get out there and led by the Holy Spirit and and do what they're doing. And they, they both have different issues and challenges revolving around that. But the biggest thing that I see is that as our pastors are becoming more skilled and professional as a, as a general comment, that a lot of us in the congregations are becoming quite passive because we see ministry as such a specialised thing. We, we sit back and we say, I can't do that. And so we end up with a very, very passive congregation. Uh, well, interesting. I, yeah. Sorry, when I was pastoring uh, many years ago now, the, at the beginning of my ministry, I was uh, an associate pastor in my, in my church in Ferntree Gully, and I was also teaching at the at Bible College, at Harvest Bible College, and, and our pastor moved on, and we, I was in the middle of doing my, my doctorate, I was working full-time at the college, I was regularly up to one o'clock at night doing work, and just to say that it was impossible for me to take on anything more. And so one of the best things that ever happened to that church was I met with the, the elders and the leaders, and I said, look... I can preach on a Sunday morning once. I said, but you guys are going to have to lift. And we, over the next 12 months, until we handed over to a new senior pastor, the church grew, it became vibrant, it became... Because all the members of the church actually started doing what God had called them to do. I just couldn't do any more. I was ready to move in and do what most pastors do, try and take on as much as we can. But that actually resulted in people lifting, the church becoming healthy, growing, all of its dynamics, we were able to take on another full-time pastor in that space. So that was one of my early experiences that I found about how if we let the pastor do everything, then we're not actually engaging in our own gifts and what God's called us to do. Isn't it interesting because no doubt there'll be a lot of listeners who've been through something similar to what you're just describing. Uh, one pastor moves on for whatever reason and then there's a, a hiatus, uh, 12 months or two years before a new pastor can be appointed and, uh, and everybody rises during that time. Uh, but then you've got the elders on the lookout to employ a pastor who might be a really well-skilled CEO type of pastor. And then when he's appointed or she's appointed, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can relax now because we don't have to do the work. We've got someone in that job and they're going to do all the work. So this is where there's a, a, a little difficulty in the imbalance here, Brendan. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's sort of come we find ourselves in lots of parts of life and I've been guilty of this you know when the working bees come up at the school and there's a well if you don't turn up to the working bee you'll you'll pay a fee for that I've certainly sometimes in life I've gone you know what I'm just paying the fee 
I've got, I've got too much, I'll in, you know, let someone else do the gardening, let someone else do the maintenance. We'll pay someone to do that. But, it's, but we can't pay someone to be in ministry for us. We can't pay someone to have a relationship with God for us. So we need someone to lead and coordinate, uh, but we can't take that mindset that we do in that corporate secular sense and bring it into the church where we pay someone to engage in our spirituality with God. Okay, I'm not trying to open a can of worms here, but Brendan, let me throw in something that might be, for some, a sticking point. Some might argue that we should not employ pastors at all. And uh, you can point to the Bible and you can say, well, the Apostle Paul... He was what we'd call a tent maker. He, was, he had a business that he was running on the side and was establishing the church at the same time. What are your thoughts around, is that a more extreme position to take and is that something culturally here in Australia we, we probably don't need to worry about? What are your thoughts around the idea of arguing that, uh, that the, the pastor shouldn't be a, an employed pastor at all? Well, I, I would sort of almost go the other way. I think what Paul's talking about there is that look he's not doing it for the money um, but when you look throughout the whole of scripture and what even Paul says in the context of that passage he's it's almost a rebuke to the to the church saying well you guys aren't supporting me so therefore I have to do this and I'm, and by the way I'm telling you that I'm called to ministry and in my calling I will be a tent maker. And even in that passage of scripture, he says, through my tent making, I'm supporting those people who are traveling with me. So he's not even just supporting himself, he's supporting others. So over the years, having spoken to hundreds, if not thousands of Bible college students about this, yes, every single person in ministry deserves to be paid so that they can focus on what God has called them to do. But at the same time, every pastor in ministry should know that they are not entitled to be paid. So it's not an entitlement in the sense of, I'm not going to do anything unless you pay me. So it's a balance between those two, and it's very, very much a mindset. So our mindset needs to be, we need to support our pastors as much as possible so they can focus on the ministry and, where possible, not have to have a second job to, to pay the bills and feed the family. At the same time, us as pastors I'm talking about now should be there serving God regardless of whether we get paid or not. So it's not, it's not we're in ministry, we get paid, and if we're, if we're not, then we don't. It's a, it's a mindset that we need to. So Paul is a great example of this. He says, you guys should be paying me, but if, that doesn't matter because I am here to serve God and God will supply my needs. Now, if we go back, there's a very clear biblical model, which is obviously in Jewish culture and, and flows through into the early church, which is very consistent about the financial structures of what we would call ministry and being a pastor. Okay, good to be talking about what we define as what a professional leader, professional pastor is. Uh, the idea of competency and skills, which you've got to have in this day and age, especially in Australia, uh, versus the, the highly paid CEO who knows how to work the system, 
this idea of a sense of entitlement. Let me ask you here, is this why it's valuable for those pastors to be a part of a denomination? Because it's not necessarily the people in the local church that uh, can actually speak into the pastor's life about this idea of a sense of entitlement, but certainly when you've got your peers and you've got someone who is uh, an oversight, uh, over you that that can happen so very important here for for leaders to have this sort of camaraderie within a, a group of peers what are your thoughts here oh, I think it's absolutely essential that pastors are part of a, a larger group of ministers or churches denominations fellowship networks we have so many different words for it now but it's it's critically important that one a pastor should be able to have fellowship with other pastors so that they can encourage and lift and learn and coach and mentor each other as we as they go through ministry um, and it's also important that there's an accountability structure the the, the bible tells us to be accountable one to another um, and as i've always said for years if there's no one who can come into your church and tell your pastor that they're doing something wrong, if there is no one that they, that they will listen to, that they will take instruction from, then the phrase of I'm accountable to God means I'm actually accountable to no one. So it's very important that we have those filters, that we have people who can speak into our lives in a positive sense as pastors, and also as a corrective sense, if something does go a little bit askew. Uh, love to get your thoughts just quickly on the idea of the pastor seeing themselves as a servant, as uh, you've been describing. But sometimes there's a temptation, isn't there, for leaders in whatever capacity to see their ministry leadership as a career and when you think of career, you might be thinking along the secular corporate sense of climbing a corporate ladder. And uh, and I wonder whether that's something that's, that you've got a comment on so far as how you see the way you serve the Lord. Because servanthood here is a big issue and servanthood as a career doesn't always look like a, a corporate ladder climbing reaching the top levels. No, I, I hate that word career for ministry. Um <laughs> It's, it's one of my red buttons. I, I remember again 20 years ago when this word first came up. You know, when I first went into the ministry, no one called it a career. And I was there after church and a young guy came to me and said, oh, I'd like to have a career in ministry. Should I come to Bible college? I said, no. I said, you shouldn't. I said, ministry is not a career. Yes, but I want to have a career in ministry. I know what he was trying to say. He was trying to get into the ministry. But the word career... Um, in the way that we think about it is exactly the way that you've described it. Whereas in ministry, we're, we're there as servant leaders and the higher up we go on responsibility just means that we've got more people that we need to serve. Um, and if we have people who... Honestly, I don't think people last much longer than three to five years in my research if they think that ministry is a career because they realise very quickly that it's the poorest paid career out there and you'll and if you're looking for title position wealth advancement you you definitely won't stay in the ministry and and some people look at maybe the one percent of pastors who are getting paid incredibly well or in large influential churches and have a lifestyle that they admire but that's just where they've ended up it's not because they've been on any particular career path so now if you're looking for a career look somewhere else 
uh, and talk to the vast majority of pastors will say it's the worst career decision you've ever made if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 and you can respond to our Facebook question today, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. The question we're asking is, do you think that professional training for Christians is a good or a bad thing? So taking calls, 1-800-316-316. In fact, let's take a call before we move on any further. And uh, interesting to be able to have a little input from uh, what appears to be Vision's chaplain, Pastor Rob Mann, calling through. Hello, Rob. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? <laughs> really well. Thank you. Uh, what are your thoughts, Rob, for our conversation today? Well, I hear this whole thing about professionalism and careers and everything. I think, you know, maybe we, we should drop that term and start to talk about the pursuit of excellence. You, you know, the, the pursuit of excellence in what we do, in leadership, in our skills, and, you know, even in, in our walk with God, we, we should be looking for excellence rather than professionalism or, or those kind of terms. Uh, Rob, great thought there. And just to, just to say, uh, Rob Mann, who actually is the uh, the chaplain here at Vision and a 30-year career and uh, just recently retired. But I wonder, Brendan, a thought or two on Rob's idea that uh, seeing an excellence in ministry rather than that professionalism. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea of, of excellence. And I think that that comes um, in, in several ways. You've got Excellence. I think the church. In, I talk about my background, so I think a lot of the church is focused on excellence and delivery of a service, i.e., the event. So I would like to see the mindset of personal, professional excellence. So the execution of my ministry, and I would also like to see a, a growing idea of excellence in my in my spiritual life and my and my life and my spirituality as a believer. So I'm, I'm happy to use, to use that word. Um, and, and by doing that, I think we need to become a little bit more self-reflective. So we reflect on what we're doing. We reflect on how the service went. We reflected on who I am in Christ. And I reflect on my capacity to, to lead and, and preach. I reflect on my capacity to disciple and, and be a believer and how I interact with others. Um, I, 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 I like that. I just, as much as professionalism can grate on people, excellence grates on me a little bit because I think we can do excellence in the external, but I think we need to do excellence in the internal as well. Uh, that's a great perspective. And uh, Rob Mann, I think you probably uh, have a thought or two as, as well there. I'll just come back to you, Rob, only because you're our chaplain. Give you a little extra time today because, uh, yes, uh, professionalism, uh, the idea of a, a really, uh, you know, a power... Uh, issues around CEO, uh, the idea of excellence. You have to define all these terms, don't you? Because uh, maybe it's sure. looking for looking for the right term that describes the servant-hearted leader. Exactly. I don't think you can be a professional Christian, but you can be an excellent Christian. I think Brendan's exactly right in every aspect, in your spiritual spirituality. The delivery of service is well. Excellent delivery of service will only come out of excellence of spirituality, anyway. And I, and I think you know, as far as as far as you know, building a team, the the whole thing is is to work is to you know, a point towards your weaknesses, understand where your excellence lies, and then appoint people who are excellent at the things you're not excellent at. 
Good stuff. Well, Rob, thank you so much uh, for your call and your contribution today uh, on our conversation. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Brendan, let's move along a little here because we don't want to talk just about the leader of the church and, you know, I think listeners will know that there's got to be a balance in there and the character of the leader is going to be very important in all of that. But let's talk about the congregation, the people as well. And perhaps maybe a starting point for moving into this direction might be good to talk about, you know, the sort of funding model or staffing model that you might have in a local church. Uh, like how many leaders paid do you need, uh, depending on how many people you have in the church? What are your thoughts around this sort of thing? Yeah, I think there's a growing capacity and understanding of the balance of paid and, and volunteer staff. A lot of the most effective churches in reaching out and doing ministry have a very strong volunteer component to be able to do that. And that's, I don't want to go into another side tangent, but that's just the reality of how much people are giving, tithing, whichever word you want to use in regards to that. So the capacity is generally only to have one full-time staff member, maybe an admin person, um, on a very restricted or budget of basically around 100. So if you've got a congregation of 100 committed people, you can generally have one full-time pastor and you can have somebody who might help out part-time as an admin person. Or a, Normally that would mean that you have a volunteer kids leader, a volunteer youth leader. So we've, we've gone away from the biblical model, which was essentially 1 in 12 or 1 in 13. And it goes right back to the foundation of the 12 tribes and the tribe of Levi. And the financial giving and structure around that meant that the would eventually divide it into the, the priests and the Levites lived in community with that group of people. And there was a, a sharing and an equality of resource, which meant that there was a very high ratio, if you look at that being almost 1 in 10, 1 in 12, because the ministry was, or the Levites and the priests were supported by the tithe. If famine came in, then the Levites and the priests struggled the same way that everybody else did. If there was a great harvest, then the Levites and the priests went up in the same way. Now, if we move into the time of Jesus, we see high priests, priests and Levites who all served in the temple. But we had this very narrow view of what that meant. We think of the high priests going into the Holy of Holies, doing their function. We think about the priestly functions. But the Levites and, some, and many of the priests served in a variety of roles. They were shepherds, butchers, cleaners, builders, stonemasons, architects, toolmakers, bakers, gold and silver smiths, metal workers tent makers, weavers, scribes, teachers, engineers, childcare workers, almost any function that you can possibly think of that surrounded the temple was done by a priest or a Levite. So I think we need to take that model and actually go, you know what, a lot of what I do in life is actually a ministry in the service towards God. It comes back, doesn't it, to this idea of not choosing to be a minister serving in church, uh, to be a career move, but to preparing for 
whatever way you can serve uh, in the church and not necessarily being called pastor or priest. Uh, this idea of needing a title, that's another big challenge here, isn't there? Because uh, it's like there's titles, but uh, someone said uh, ti- we don't have titles in church, we have job descriptions. What are your thoughts around this idea of, of uh, being the person who's ordained and has some special title? Yeah, I think titles are very good in a functional sort of sense. And people like to know who the pastor is. They like to know who the leader is. They like to know what someone's role and responsibility is. So they're important in that sense. So we know who to look for for certain things. But we shouldn't be seeking those things. And and whether it be in church ministry or people's career, we know someone who has worked towards getting a title. And the moment they've got the title, they've stopped. They think they've arrived. they've they've become a leader in the workplace and they think everybody else is there to serve them or they become a pastor and all they wanted was was the title Um, you know so I've seen this quite often in conversations with people who who think their ministry doesn't start until they've got a credential but at the same point in time as we get towards the end I think some of the saddest things that we can see is that people who have been in full-time ministry don't know how they fit into the church anymore because they're no longer the pastor. So it's, it's about, for me, it's about ministry. What's my ministry? Sometimes I get paid and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have a title, sometimes I don't. But it's just, it's not about title, it's not about pay, it's what is my ministry and doing that in that context and and following forward. I used to love telling my Bible college students that it took 10 years in ministry full-time before I got a full-time wage. They're not the same thing. Real wisdom in that. Let's take another call just in the lead-up to the news. Brent is in Kyabram in Victoria. Hi, Brent. Welcome along. Hello. Hi, Egon. Brent, what are Um, your thoughts? Well, to the question that do you think professional training for Christians is a, is a bad thing, um, when you look at Joseph, he was in the school of trial and he became a leader. I think that every Christian must enter the school of trial and trials produce character. You need character to be in ministry. I think that um, professional training is also a good thing because it's helpful. So you know. Brent, great thought there. Uh, there's trials that go along with what you might learn in theory in uh, in that sort of knowledge, uh, that life experience. Your thoughts for Brent here, Brendan? Oh, I, I love love the example that he's that he's given of 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 Joseph went through trials and tribulation and and the man of exceptional character finding his way basically into a leadership role wherever he was, but also love, we go a little bit further on to Moses, who turns around after being trained in the most elite educational community, put Harvard, Oxford, University of Melbourne, everything that you can think together, and that's the training that Moses had, yet he comes out of that going, oh, I don't think I'm a good public speaker. So I think we can see that in that culture, in that society, Joseph would have been one of the leaders and would have had an exceptional amount of ongoing training. But it was his character that sustained that. So it's incredibly important relationship, character and training. It's not an an either or, it's an and and both. Let's work on our character. 
let's get excellence, as Rob said, and let's continue to look and support us in the ministry. A quick general thought here, Brendan. We've got a huge pool of people in a local church, and so much of the talent is somehow rather wasted because it's not harnessed and the people are not released into areas of leadership within the local church. What are your thoughts on the idea of a waste of talented people? I I think we've got a huge amount of gifted, blessed, talented people that God's speaking to about doing different things to impact community and the church and their families around them. But we, we restrict ourselves by coming back to those very narrow definitions of ministry, preaching, teaching, leading a youth group, kids ministry, some, some form of volunteering within the local church. Yet the vast majority of us are built to do something else. So we're, we need to sort of allow ourselves permission to not only support and serve and be part of our local church, but understand that we're uniquely called and gifted. A great example of this is art ministry. So 20 years ago, no one had any perception that I knew of, of art being a ministry as such. And so you see people now who'll, who'll do something in church and they'll be painting and it might have a prophetic edge to it. That That's all nice. But there's a whole growing area of ministry out there where people are bringing, whether it be in prisons, whether it be depression, whether it be whatever it might be, and people are coming together and they're painting and people are being taught to paint and God is speaking through that gift of an artist. You know, Who would have thought 20 years ago that you as a person who's an artist can suddenly take that out as a ministry? One of our, the, the, the lady who's the presenter in Growing in God, um, Cheryl Forrest, she did a, has always loved horses. And so in the last two, three years, she's found that she's got a growing ministry with people who've got disabilities and other areas, depression. They come along and it's now a formal thing where they'll come, they'll ride a horse, they'll interact with the horse, kids with disabilities, things like that. And she is seeing her ministry grow exponentially because she loves horses. So it's, I think we just need to allow ourselves to use what God's called us as individuals and allow that to flow out and allow God to use that as a ministry. There are an awful lot of connecting points, and this comes down to each individual and uh, their personality and the skills and their special interests and those things, and they create a connecting point. But when we start to talk about, you know, leadership in the local church that has a discipleship edge to it, then somehow or other you've got to be thinking about some ministry training, uh, theological training. And there's a lot to know, isn't there, Brendan? I mean, there's, uh, there's that old saying, the most important thing to know is that there are lots of important things to know. There's an awful lot to know about uh, being prepared to be a, a Christian leader and particularly if you want to have a you know a firm foundation an evangelical foundation to your understanding of the Bible and who God is and what his purposes are uh, this ministry training is important it it is it's important that we get get trained it's important that we get an understanding of what the Bible teaches it's important particularly with all the different messaging that's going on in the moment that we have the core foundations of our faith. That doesn't mean we need to be able to explain everything. It's probably one of the things that I get gets said to me most often is, I don't know enough. 
Well, it's not about knowing every part of scripture. It's about knowing the basics and then being able to share your story and your testimony and, and come alongside someone else who doesn't know as much. So it's not... Otherwise, you, you'll continue to study and you'll continue to get caught up in this thing, this idea of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I've had lots of different questions, and after about three years in ministry, when I gave myself permission after another pastor said to me, you don't have to pretend like you know everything, and I just said to someone, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that question, whether your cat's going to be in heaven with you or not. Um, And it's just, we, we... after we've had that experience, yes, we need to know that Jesus is not a myriad, through a myriad of different gods and different things like that, but Jesus is the one way, and, and God is real, and we just start sharing our faith and not be so worried about getting it wrong. We need to give ourselves permission, but continue to learn, continue to read our Bible, continue to get help to grow in the things of God and study the Word, as, as we're told to do, and then you will see the answers come. You'll see the wisdom. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. It's not having the Holy Spirit pop a thought into your head out of ignorance. The wisdom is the correct application of knowledge, and you get that by reading and then studying and growing in God, and just share that with someone is the greatest way to do that. Uh, Brendan, there is a sense here, and uh, you're leading a Bible college, and uh, you are preparing people for ministry. There's a little uh, something here to touch on. There's a level of confidence that comes with the certificate. Uh, Having done a course, having done a subject or two or whatever, and just had some formal insight that's come from people who are experts in the field there's a certain level of confidence that comes with that any thoughts around that in your uh, preparation for ministry look i think it's something that when i was 30 years ago growing in the things of god that we would have a bible study we would read something and someone who knew a little bit more about the bible or the study guide would give us an answer And then, after we'd been a believer for a while, then we'd head off to Bible college and we'd learn. We seem to have lost, in some churches, that in-between space. So what we've done at Acts is we've created very short, simple certificates, like one is very popular one, Certificate of the Bible. It tells you how to read the Old Testament, the New Testament, and how to understand some of those slightly more complicated things that we read and go, what the heck's going on there? So it's just a very gentle introduction to the Word of God. And we've got a few of those certificates, Certificate of Theology, Bible, uh, different ministry areas. And within the next couple of months, we'll have a whole range of new certificates coming out. And it's just to go have a systematic training to go, oh, now I understand what what a proverb is. And when they're talking about poetry, it's not meant to be taken literally. It's giving us a, a picture of God. And, and, the, and the, the, the stories that are meant to be taken literally and understood. So this gives us that really gentle introduction that gives us confidence that goes, I've done a simple structured training, which is not to prepare me to be a pastor, but it's just helping disciple me in the things of God. Taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Dean in Brighton in Victoria. Hi, Dean. Welcome along. Oh, um, hi. Uh, whether uh, I was a bit late in uh, opening the radio, 
So I don't really know if you have discussed 1 Corinthians 9.14, which says, Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And also 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18, it says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Great thoughts coming back to the scriptures, and uh, your thoughts here, Brendan, for Dean. Yeah, we. I, I think that was what I was trying to talk about earlier before you were probably listening, Dean, is this idea that we as members of the congregation, and that's why I am now, I belong to my local church, we need to make sure, particularly board members uh, who are organising how much their pastor gets paid, to make sure that they are well cared for. And at the same time, we have to, as pastors, not put demands on the congregation that we demand that we be well cared for. So I think that's the balance here. Scripture clearly teaches that I am to support my church, my pastor, my ministry. And as a pastor, I am to be humble before the church and seek God for my financial needs. Dean from Brighton, thank you so much for your call. Talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. While we're on to this issue here, uh, let me ask you, Brendan, because uh, there'll be some people who come from the business uh, corporate environment and there's a saying that says, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. And the idea of, uh, of paying your church leader well, this is another very important uh, dimension here. And I wonder if you've got any thoughts, whether this is something cultural in our Australian experience that might be different to in a developing uh, world context. But uh, what are your thoughts for the idea of, uh, of paying those good leaders who are uh, leading, according to the scriptures, really, really well, looking after them? Look, I think it's really important that they that pastors are paid well, and, and even using the word "well" will be interpreted by different people in in different means. Are, are we going to pay them the equivalent of the CEO of a of one of the big four banks, or Qantas, or another Fortune 500 company? Probably not. And I know the financial circumstances of many churches because I've done some benchmarking practices. And, and let me tell you, most pastors in large churches are not paid anywhere near, near as well as you think they are. I think a pastor should be paid a similar amount to those people who are in his congregation, in his or her congregation. And let me put it this way. If a pastor needs to have other means of support to live a basic life, send the kids to school, be able to plan for retirement, be able to pay their rent, then there is no spiritual, how can I say, advantage in keeping your pastor poor. It's it's an old-fashioned, and I won't mention where it comes from, but it's an old-fashioned view that spirituality is linked to poverty. Spirituality is not linked to poverty. Spirituality is our connection with God. And as believers, we need to make sure that the pastors who serve in our church aren't worried how they're going to pay their bills. 
but can actually focus on serving us and serving God. Uh, let me reflect a thought or two that's come through our Facebook question today. The question I was asking is, do you think that professional training for Christians is a good or a bad thing? Uh, people have been responding. In fact, uh, a response there from Pastor Max in Sherberg, and that's Pastor Max Conlon, a really well-respected uh, Aboriginal leader in Sherberg. He left his thoughts. Ministry is supposed to be a passion, not a position. If it's just a position, you've missed the point. Uh, wonder if you've got a, a quick thought there for Max, who's left that comment, Brendan. Yep, totally, totally agree. If if ministry isn't your passion, or what I would call calling, if you are not called to ministry, you will not sustain ministry. And sometimes I said in ministry, you know, you will be paid well. You will be looked after. You'll be blessed, and there will be other places and times where the Bible says you won't have a place to rest your head. So we cannot be driven by the financial rewards, but we are driven by the call of God, whether that be as a credentialed pastor or as a member of the congregation, to serve and do what God is calling to us to do, regardless of financial compensation. Another comment from Ian who says professional training for Christians is a good thing. People expect a lot from ministers. Anything that helps them do their job is to do their job better is good. And uh, I guess that's got to be something that uh, we have to say yes. Uh, that whole uh, issue about doing your job well is a, very much a part of our Christian experience. Absolutely. We need to, if we just look in the, the very unfortunate situation, I've been involved in this in ministry personally of people who have been sexually abused as children. We needed as pastors and as churches to, to have some training to handle that better, to know what to do, to know how to support, to know how to handle that correctly as a congregation, as leadership. And most of us need to have some professional development and training because no one ever taught us in Bible college how to handle that. So that's a great example of how we need to be constantly getting better in the things and improving, and as someone else said earlier today, to surround us with those people who have that expertise. We can't be expected to know everything. Brendan, if I was reflecting what some people will be thinking, and they'll be thinking, oh, there's already so many leaders, uh, so many people who are way ahead of, where I might be as a leader in church. I just leave that to others who are way, way down the track. Is there a need for leaders? And I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on the lack of leaders in churches here, even in Australia. Uh, what are your thoughts on the number of leaders, leaders that are required for the church to continue growing? Well, simple answer to that is we need more. Uh, so again, if I go back to the biblical example, and if right from the beginnings of when they came together as a nation, there was a division. There were divisions of thousands, of hundreds, of tens. So we need to have more leaders. You don't need to necessarily have the title of a leader, but you, many of the people who don't call themselves leaders are leaders. People are looking towards them looking towards how you raised your kids, looking towards how you got involved in that youth community, looking towards how you've got in that position or role within your school community, where people are leaders. So the thing is, we need to have some basic leadership training and have that coming through. In my experience, the church is, this might surprise people, the church is actually way ahead of most organisations in leadership development. So... 
I think we continue on that. We create what we call a leadership pipeline where not everybody has to be up the front. Not everybody has to be a leader of 1,000, but everybody can be a leader of 10. Be a leader of your mum's group. Be a leader of the youth group. Be a leader of your friends. Be the leader in your family. Be a leader in your community. So just learn some basic skills and, and, and we can grow in that. And as we do, we're taking two, three, four, five people with us. Brendan, the small church versus the big church here, because it might appear that in a big church you can hide. Uh, you can hide in the crowds, but in a small church your gift is going to be more apparent and more needed. What are your thoughts here for people who are, who are a part of a big church and those who are a part of a small church? Well, small churches tend to have more active congregations. There's, you've got, whether you've got 1,000 people in church or 100 people in church, the similar tasks have to happen on a Sunday. So in a smaller church, more people are needed. More people get their hands on, they get active. I think the, the rule is of a church of about 100 people, about 80% of the congregation are active in some way. A church of 1,000, about 20% of the people are active in some way. So it, you, there's certainly more opportunity uh, that, that you're given, but it doesn't matter what the size of the church. If you just get active and involved, you will find the opportunities. It might take you a little bit longer in a big church because people want to get to know you. Um, in a smaller church, you've got the opportunity to get known a, a bit quicker. All right. We've run out of time, but just to talk acts for a few moments, AXX, You've got ministry training courses and you've really got those targeted to people who can't, for reasons of geography or cost or discrimination, even the idea of persecution in other nations around the world, they've got access to reliable, good, sound, uh, biblically founded uh, Bible courses. And uh, when we talk about only 5% of the world's pastors being adequately trained, you're into a, a big uh, fishing pond here where you're looking to to train up leaders all over the world. But Aussies can access these courses as well at axx.global. Uh, we were talking about one just a little earlier called Growing in God. Now, if someone were to open up your website, axx.global, and uh, click on Growing in God, uh, what are they likely to see? Growing in God is that course that was specifically developed out of my passion for this area so that people can grow as disciples and who God's called them to be and just get a sense of what a lot of people would consider to be very basic but very clear guided instruction from Pastor Cheryl Forrest as she leads and teaches people how to grow in God, how to learn how to read the basics of your Bible and then how to disciple and share that faith with somebody else in your community. So this is the way that we've design this is that somebody can be doing this course in your church and then they can have a chat with you at the end of each lesson and they can say well they talked about this what does that what does that mean how does that work so it's a really it's a free course and it's got 23 lessons in there and it'll take tell you about what it means to be born saved set free how does god guide you how do we hear the voice of god how do we develop spiritual gifts and what's my gift and how am I going to use it? So that's, that's a free course. It's, it's done at a very introductory level, but it's also a great course if you know someone that you can do that with somebody else. You can set up your own account. You can sit there in the lounge room together and you can use that 
to disciple somebody else. My goal is that we train and equip every believer to be able to share their faith and disciple another Christian to get them a little bit further along the journey without being an expert, without having years of Bible college, but just get in there and help someone else grow in the things of faith. Well, I think you probably caught the attention of a listener or two today when you say it is a free course. And so I want to point listeners to the AXX.Global website. That's AXX.Global and look for the course called Growing in God. And Dr. Brendan Roach, our guest today, founder and CEO of the Bible teaching ministry called AXX. Uh, Brendan, just great getting your insights. Thank you so much for sharing these things with our listeners today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. appreciate being with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.